you get a beautiful green fur. Oh, look at there, a turkey feather. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, we better get going. My name is Hi, this is Cliff Prigo for the picture-bones.com website in the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. This is number two of our new series, Talking Hands, Talking Feet. And as you hear, we're down here again on our little uh, mountain snowmelt creek. It's not quite as hot as it was yesterday. In fact, there's some thunder clouds building to our northwest, so we might be sharply, rudely interrupted. And coming down to this beautiful little place under two young uh, balsam cottonwoods. I don't know why I always say poplars, but they're very closely related two of our major leafy deciduous trees at this montane altitude above 1400 meters. Well, walking down here, I was uh, practicing as I frequently do while out uh, doing uh, mountain photography field work. As I think I mentioned last time, this is my lowest base camp and it goes up from here, working not just on whitebark pines, but generally a climate crisis, uh, generally. So the main forcing here is um, a hotter, drier climate, a tendency becoming more variable and wildly so. So it's being pushed to extremes and all the uh, various species, from trees to even weedy species, like I'm looking at um, what the locals call uh, skunk cabbage, it's not even distantly related to skunk cabbage, it's a, actually a lily, a corn lily, is probably the best common name. Veratrum viridis, black true. Um, that's a native invasive, and it's also responding to changing wider circle conditions. So as I'm doing happily that field work, even though it's a very tragic thing 
and a lot of uh, uncertainty involved in it, sometimes actually dangerous. Um, I'm always uh, working on um, uh, poems, uh, phrases of music, and some time ago, decades ago, I discovered that it's good to have things in your feet. I suppose that comes from all the conducting I used to do. And uh, it's important to root one's energy in the feet. Like I always say, get it in your feet. Um, I'll admonish uh, performers when the rhythm isn't rooted, uh, sharing a common pulse. It's like uh, the great James Brown, who passed away recently, one of the greatest of North American musicians. He used to say, hit the one, <laughs> to his uh, almost a circus-style orchestra as they would play two, three, four gigs a day and travel around in buses. Of course, James took the <laughs> plane. And he'd uh, go into recording studios late at night to do something like Funky Drummer. Well, that's rhythm. That's rhythm. Get it in your feet. Hit the one. Well, in the circle and the square, so we're going to be talking about step time again. And then you can tell it's exciting and fun. That's how we uh, concluded uh, yesterday in part one. Because it is. In um, the circle and the square, what we're dealing with is primarily movement. It's uh, like a, a triangle, a synergistic triangle. Movement, energy, and meaning. Movement, energy, and meaning. So we're seated here comfortably in a marvelous oxbow of this little creek. So it's a sinuous movement. If you're a violin player, just think of those marvelous strobe lights, images of violin strings that freeze that sinuous motion of the back and forth, the up and down phase of a vibrating string. I was just reading the other day that uh, Western culture, not this part, but I'm just improvising, Western culture based on force this is especially true in the Alps, but it's also true everywhere now worldwide with the damming of most great rivers. Remarkably, in the Pacific Northwest, we're at about the same, only 9% of the rivers run free, and it's exactly the same in the Alps. Well, this, um, the difference between a straight line, we all know the shortest distance between two points to get from here to Rome is a straight line. And when we build roads, or even worse, canals, it can be different if it's an aqueduct. There are exceptions. Or even worse, channel rivers to avoid flood flooding, 
That's the great problem on the River Rhine and the Alps. Well, um, when a river moves with its own native intelligence, self-organizing, truth and function, it always um, approximates pi. Think of that. 3.2459. Well, next time we'll turn those numbers into music. Um, but now we're sitting in one of those graceful meanders, and it really does slow things down. So step time becomes as I mentioned yesterday, a part of our yoga Alexander technique, daily routine and practice. And if you're primarily concerned in our poetry, music, and dance about dance, then that's perfectly natural because you need your yoga and Alexander technique that's self-evident to anybody who so intensively uses their mind-body. And to the performing musician, especially in art music, so if you're playing your Charles Ives, Edgar Varese, Ioannis Tsenakis, Igor Stravinsky, Bela Bartok, that's enough. Well, you're also very aware that uh, the physical instrument is where everything begins, so it has to be uh, given great care if one wants to sustain a top level of performance throughout one's uh, career. But if we're doing poetry, I'm afraid that's, that's not the case. Then uh, we can be a drunk and a pig and... <laughs> and still think we're going... But those were the old days. And uh, we're questioning that whole, um, what I call an era tradition, kind of false tradition. Now, to speak with uh, Aristotle, don't forget one of our ambitions is to get rid of Aristotle because of its hyper-complicatedness, unnecessary difficulty. Ethics can be reduced to one principle, first do no harm, prima non nocere. So we don't need a whole very obtuse book about it. But we do need right action in truth and function, desperately. Ethical responsibility. So to speak with Aristotle is a flicker. Poetry in what Western culture calls madness, well, they certainly go together, but it's a benign kind of madness. Why? Because um, it's our duty for anyone who has the privilege to do philosophy to question the violence of current uh, world culture. Imagine corrupting this beautiful little river for whatever reason.
It would be like corrupting the mind of a young child, a little boy or girl, for whatever reason. It only takes one bad idea to destroy a human life, to destroy an entire culture. So Talking Hands, Talking Feet is um, about the energy of liberation and our touchstone is that movement energy. So if the quality of energy in anything that we're doing, including right here, right now, then truth and function tells us to pause, suspend what we're doing, step back into a wider circle, Checking the water here. And look. Well, these clouds look look okay. And look. So rhythm, talking hands, talking feet. Well, when I came in here, I was getting a little uh, aphorism. There are many species of poetry and writing. And as I mentioned in um, the first of these talks, I question um, the Western tendency to put everything in little box prisons cowboy poetry, academic poetry, or whatever, and then music is just as bad. So we begin with the widest generative circle, so even wider than a particular art form. So don't forget that the Greeks for art and um, music and poetry were the same. It's related, like in Chinese, I'm told, that uh, they don't have a mind, a word for mind and heart. It's one thing. That's very beautiful. I'd love to learn that word. There's an awful lot of heartless things going on in the world. So imagine corrupting this river or that little child. So we come along and we have a technique. And it has to be demonstrated. And if you bring small children up here to our uh, open-air school on the south side of the eagle-capped wilderness at Heartbreak Meadow, it can easily be demonstrated. It only takes a few minutes. Kids pick up on this instantly. Because it's wonderful to run around and dance and jump on and laugh. And, and there's no writing. There's nothing happening with the eyes. So you're outside under this magnificent Oregon big blue sky. And simply uh, uh, enjoying high energy play.
we play music, but what do we do? We don't play poetry. What do we do? We um, read it <laughs> or, or perform it. That's interesting. So we are not making a difference, but there is, there can be differences. So this little sutra, that's the Sanskrit word, that's very beautiful for a meaningful text. We're not allowed to call it ourselves sacred, but it's meaningful in a way, at least for oneself. And then it may find a certain resonance with the culture. And that's what makes it uh, unique and new. If it doesn't have that quality of resonance, well, it uh, loses its energy, right? So, um, as I was coming in here, I was working on a little sutra and um, um, to show how that works. Because I do that uh, <laughs> basically uh, day in, day out. I'm doing it always. And it's quite remarkable, um, like as an alpinist, I've always said, you've got to have your mind in your boots. You can't be um, uh, drifting around <laughs> with your thoughts, worrying about um, your tax returns and what you're going to teach or play tomorrow. It has to be rooted, your energy has to be rooted in your boots. And you've probably noticed that in Western culture, we're not only an I-dominant culture, like we talked about yesterday. Movement, meaning, energy. That's that synergistic triangle in the circle and the square. So put that in the sacred geometry of a circle, a square, inside, and then now a little Buckminster Fuller synergistic triangle. Movement, meaning, energy. So that energy, if it's not uh, in, in your boots and you're just drifting around, you lose your uh, momentum, your focus. You're in the mountains, sometimes a necessary willpower drive to do what needs to be done. Sometimes that's the way we have to be. And if you notice in Western culture, we not only have this eye dominance, which leads to a very highly distorted perception of living movement and sound, especially in music. It's unmistakable that that has become a key part of Western, uh, what we call art music. Music that has its root, roots in Johann Sebastian Bach and going through uh, the disaster of the 19th century. And finally we get to Stravinsky, which was a total liberation. Not just we give it a name, Stravinsky, but it's actually Nijinsky. It's actually Diaghilev. It's actually that magnificent, hippie, wild, gay, obscene uh, collective of the Russian Ballet Russe in Paris 
of the beginning of the 20th century. Rilke, he can just go to hell. <laughs> the, the energy of a great poet like Rilke is nothing compared to the Ballet Russe. Nothing. We still have not even come close to assimilating the movement, meaning, and energy of that great rogue wave. My sailor friends tell me you can be in the middle of a placid ocean and then out of nowhere manifest this huge, powerful wave of energy. Well, that's what happened in the Paris of the beginning of the 20th century. It took almost 30 years for it to get to me. The only one who brought it to North America was the great Edgar Varez. Charles Ives, he was just somehow so extraordinarily spiritually gifted that he could do it on his own, riding on another rogue wave, a North American, of the great transcendentalist. So none of this greatness comes from the individual. It may manifest in the individual, but that's not its source. So movement meaning energy. So what we're looking for in the circle and the square is the highest spiritual excellence. And that's an intention, not a goal. So all we look at, we don't know what that highest spiritual, we have a hint, but we don't know what it is. We weren't actually there with Nijinsky. It drove him. Evidently into madness. And Igor got all the credit. <laughs> but that's not what actually took place in my view. It's the story of stories in the 20th century. Rorishtik, the half-crazed Russian mystic, was the one who painted the damn scenery for the Rite of Spring. And lo and behold, he shows up in New York to help design the back of the not-so-great seal that still curses us on the back of a dollar bill that omnipotent eye of raw authoritarian power atop that misshapen pyramid. But our sacred geometry is very balanced, we hope, and where it's not balanced, we'll tune it up on the spot, not holding on to the past. So movement meaning energy. Well, so walking in, that gives your feet energy. So I was rehearsing, that's what it is, rehearing that you do it again and again and again and again and again. Nobody has time anymore. So in the circle and the square, we're not a part of that culture. We haven't rejected it. We've totally died to it. 
We don't resist it. We've totally died to it. So what we're looking for is something new. Movement, meaning, energy. So coming in here, we're rehearsing this little sutra aphorism. And uh, I've already used it for a piece. It almost sounds crazy to be so profane. I'll put the link as we say. <laughs> so that you can listen to it. So it's a part of an orchestral cycle. And I have no intention to do it with an orchestra. So um, uh, there are reasons for that, and we'll come back to that in another talk. But the, uh, sometimes the orchestral performance situation is so impoverished that uh, one has to go into a kind of spiritual fasting. It's so corrupt and corrupting that I'll make my music my own way and so it has a kind of spiritual authenticity. So I don't get to play with uh, eight-string uh, basses in the uh, Frankfurt Symphony or something, but I'll just do it my, my own way. And perhaps eventually it'll make its way back into concert halls if they uh, change uh, their way of being. But until then, we're happy to do our music and share it this way via our common ground of the digital revolution up here at Heartbreak Meadows. So we're coming and rehearsing with a little aphorism sutra and we never have time, right? Well, um, I have time so I've slowed things down. You know, the slow food revolution. This is slow sound revolution. I want to be able to get into the sound. And the eyes won't let you do that. My eyes already reached the sunny hill, going half far ahead of the trail. I've hardly just begun. So we are grasped by that which we cannot grasp at such great distance so fully manifest. And yet it reaches us even though we do not touch it. Changing us into something that hardly sensing it we all already are. A sign appears echoing our own sign. But what we feel is the wind in our faces. I couldn't resist that's that little occasional Rilke poem written at the end of his days. Spaziergang, a walk. So the eyes are always getting ahead of us. Right? We can see that mountain that we want to climb. So we'll trip. And that's we're doing that all the time. And in music, that's deadly. 
there are many different time spaces in music. So forget about the clock, forget about tempo, quarter note equals 60 or 120 or whatever. Forget about four or four bars. There's simply movement. And when we step it, as we say in the circle and the square, when we step it into sound. So first we have the crystal, the energy, a sense of something. And we step that sometimes boldly, sometimes very hesitantly. It all depends. So we step it into sound, and it, then it manifests. And when it's performed, brought to life, the energy uh, is flowers. And if others, first and foremost, oneself has to resonate with that energy, that's the ultimate touchstone. That's authenticity. It's unmistakable in another, in a performer. You can see it before they get there flute or violin or trombone out of the case. You see it in how they walk, you see it in how they talk, how they use their eyes. And then when you pick up the instrument, that's amplified. So there are many different times. So step time is its own time space. So this is where it begins. We're not going to go deeply into that today. We'll do an entire talk on that, I hope. It's called uh, Relational Resonance. So if I go one, two, three, four, five, those are five distinct moments, right? And who and what composes that into a pattern? Who or what composes that into a pattern? Because we have that mystery that this circle of the now, all that exists, there's only one sound happening, as we say, at a time. That's the order of unfolding rhythm. And yet something else is, that's the explicit sign the implicit side that we don't see deeper underneath. It's always folding into this energetic ground that, uh, when it's right, is also fully embodied in our own being and energy. It's very mysterious. So we're questioning this whole, with all due respect, scientific American worldview. We're looking around to see if we see any ecologists behind us. You never know. There was somebody back there with a chainsaw an hour or two ago. If greed has a sound, you see, that's it. <laughs> the chainsaw. 
Hydrocarbon, man. I think we're still safe. There were gunshots fired at a distance yesterday evening. Um, I can tell you when you're out in the wilderness and you hear gunshots and you cannot see the idiot with the gun with all due respect again. And certainly they don't see you. There's nothing more horrifying. But how do we know? One, two, three, four, five. That's not self-explanatory. And um, if you do real physics, trying to understand, uh, not that I understand those things, but from a philosophical point of view, one has a sense of them you know, bringing together relativity and quantum theory. And in my view, probably a mistaken path, because one of the great transcendentalists, Amos Bronson Alcott, the founder, the beginner of kindergartens in the uh, uh, North America, following Pestalozzi in Switzerland, the Temple School in Brooklyn, the first to accept uh, a black student. Think of that outrage back in the... I think it was the 1840s. Well, he used to say, truth is spherical. That's a very good sutra to remember. Truth is spherical. That's, see how that's, if you want to memorize something, uh, in other words, uh, learn it by heart. It's very different. Bring it into your feet so you'll never forget it. Um, did you hear what I did? Truth is spherical. Now you don't see what I'm doing, so now I'm co conducting with my right hand those beats, those steps. Thump, bum, beam, bum, bum. Thump, bum, beam, bum, bum. So I'm simplifying the rhythm. You see, if you were giving a talk, truth is spherical. Is that dum, ding, 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 ding. That's a very much more complex rhythm. Language, as I was saying yesterday, is infinitely complex in contrast to Mozart or Beethoven. Those are very simple rhythms, you know, they're not very interesting, threes and fours, and they're all based on twos and threes, and it's all arithmetic, remarkably, all, all of it. This stream is entirely moving its own geometric pi fractal space. It's infinitely more interesting than the movement of a Mozart symphony. So the music that we're, uh, how should you say, I almost said advocating, <laughs> well, okay, advocating for, embraces this natural simplexity cycle. How many steps of simplexity cycle? You see, in step time, you'll soon discover, if you pick up the crystal and run with it, that, um, don't take my word for it, it is impossible to perform and count at the same time. Hmm? You might be able to develop that, but I think it would be self-destructive because you won't be able to listen anymore. That's the problem. 
You see, I, the part of the beauty of talking hands, talking feet, that's six steps. Talking hands, talking feet. So that, da, 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 dee, da, now, if you wanted to do that with 50 people in an orchestra, how are you going to write that down? Then not only write it down, but you won't be able to get a dum-dum-bee. There's already geometric fractal space in the way I'm saying those rhythms. Musicians um, conditioned to arithmetic time uh, do not even hear geometric rhythms. They have no idea of what I'm talking about. But when I demonstrate it to them, they can't hear it either. That's because they come from a straight-line universe that's totally eye-dominated. Not only totally eye-dominated, they hardly ever see the light of day. <laughs> and believe me, I can sympathize with them because that uh, in Amsterdam in the old days, I did that for decades. So I have a, a, a modicum of experience and know what it's like to finish a rehearsal at 11 o'clock in the evening and have to drink for two or three hours just to come down from all of that energy if you don't know any other way of doing it. So not only do they not see the geometry, but they can't do it, they, can't he they don't hear it. We don't hear music. We hear our map of music. It has many distortions which lead us astray. New perception begins in awareness of the map. So now you can understand, well gee, now if you start to really think about that, Uh-huh. We don't hear music, we hear our map of music. So if geometric, I'll do it very quickly. The geometric rhythms are not... That's a geometric rhythm. And uh, uh, it's very easy to do if you master it. Children is second nature. They can grow up inside that worldview that embraces the double spiral of a pine cone, of a sunflower, of the universe, and easily transform that into poetry, into music, into dance. So how does that sound in poetry? Hmm? Music is movement. Music is a movement of meaning. Music is a movement of meaning that manifests in the entire mind-body. Do you see what I'm doing? Those are spirals that go out into space. That's not a poem, but a sutra. But that's how you compose in language with geometric rhythms. So step time simplifies, simplifies, simplifies until you get to some sort of a movement essence. Why? Because that makes it infinitely easier to master and learn by heart in a way that you'll never forget it. It just becomes a part 
of your own energy forever. And then when you touch that crystal like a bell and unfold that meaning in performance, it's totally second nature. You're not using your eyes. You're using the instrument of your whole being. And then it's simply manifest. Watch those documentaries, any of them. It's a very great gift that the great Robert Kraft came as a very young man to Igor Stravinsky when he was older, had settled and fled the, the fascist and had settled in Hollywood and everybody was playing tennis and everything. It was like a party that went on for years. And they recorded 33, what you called back then, long play, LPs, 33s, and uh, had the, the great Columbia Orchestra. I mean, back in those days, Americans were much less spoiled. Just look at the photographs. <laughs> nice, lean, clean-shaven young men. Just happy the Germans aren't shooting at them. And they didn't take uh, music or anything probably for granted. Now we're just so hopelessly corrupted and spoiled. But back then, to make those recordings was a magnificent gift. But the point is, watch Stravinsky just talk. That is rhythm. Just like James Brown. That's rhythm. So we're simplifying it, bringing it back to some essence. Talking hands, talk, so talking hands, talking feet. That's six steps. Now, how do I know it's six steps? Uh, that's because the part of the technique, and this really is a technique, is that you, but it's advanced and difficult to do, but not a, difficult if you're a musician, but difficult if you're a dancer. And, if you're doing mostly literature and poetry. Um, but you put things in groups of five. Remember, um, four is for, like the jazzers say, so square, that um, uh, that's not an appropriate measure. We have five fingers. I was reading the other day that uh, I don't see any of that stuff. I've never really participated in commercial television and that sort of thing. But the Simpsons, they have four fingers. <laughs> and in the Simpsons, the only one that has five fingers is God. Well, there you have it. That's a good reason uh, for in the circle and the square, in talking hands, talking feet. It's a simple, neutral measure of five. Don't forget tongue a foot, foot a tongue. We do everything with the tongue and language, with the hands and with the feet. And that is another Bucky Fuller synergistic triangle. That means that they give tremendous amplification only when they're together to their energy. Ah, the sun is coming back. Well, that's a blessing. I think we'll be spared. We've had a lot of thunderstorms up here.
So everything with the tongue, hand, and foot. Gee, I wish pianists would pick up on that. Pianists in art new music tend to be very weak uh, rhythmically. That's my view. That's only because their energy isn't rooted in earth. There are always exceptions, uh, like people I've worked with in the past. Hus Janssen is, has an extraordinary sense of rhythm. But one of the reasons is getting things into our feet. Well, so when I'm coming in here, I'm doing a little uh, aphorism sutra. And uh, um, it wound up being used in this epigram cycle that I'm about one halfway through. It's about an hour different uh, orchestral uh, things around uh, the idea of freedom and the loss of freedom. So it begins with the great Hannah Arendt. And there's a third movement that honors uh, um, uh, Frank Zappa. And it's called Money. And it's all tragic, uh, not tragic comic. I don't have the quite the right word for it. But it also uh, does a riff on, I don't like that expression, it sounds like the New York Times. Um, it does a variation on a full metal jacket, the equally great uh, Stanley Kubrick. If you can remember that episode where the Marines are running and they chant. Well, they do that for good reason. And that almost certainly is coming from the... Uh, um, Greeks and the Romans, you know, the, uh, what they call it, the uh, hoplite. Groups of a hundred shields locked, just imagine that in Sparta. <laughs> that uh, you were born and bred, literally, for that. So, it, uh, that's based, that third movement, I'll put a link to that. So, I'm not going to put the score out there. That's top secret. How the, all that stuff is. Uh, I showed that uh, uh, to my close friend and mate, uh, uh, Simon Dehan, and he was horrified. How complex all those rhythms are. He thought I was just making that stuff up. Well, um, money. So that begins with a little sutra. And let's do it very quickly and try counting the steps. And I can hear you. There's a difference between step and beat, but only further downstream, not up here in the mountains. We're keeping things simple. So we only have steps. So see if you can count them. Money is a movement that always seems to be going in the wrong direction. Debt is the engine, and compound interest is seemingly inexhaustible fuel. How did you do? <laughs> well, I bet you could tell there are two parts. There are two phrases, two breaths. And obviously, 
that trivializes the meaning. But we don't care about that because we're working now with pure sound. Let the meaning go. The sound is the meaning. So we're listening to the rhythm and the sound. And in order to hear, like just depth is an engine. You see, those are very complex sounds. I want to really get those inside of those sounds. And now we need a new concept. Again, what we were talking about, that relational resonance. Well, so don't work any harder. There are 20 steps in each phrase. So 20 plus 20. Now we're doing our um, circle in the square, talking hands, talking feet, math. And you begin uh, with small children. They love it. And it's all based not on The Simpsons, <laughs> but uh, what's God called in The Simpsons? Just God, or spell it backwards, dog. That uh, um, uh, It's based on five. Well, they pick up on that instantly. And don't forget, when you're doing it with your feet, you're working with one, two. Left and right, odd and even. So there's another mathematical principle in movement. So, so 20 plus 20, let's do that first. 20 plus 20. Well, relational resonance is a... Um, a principle, universal, universal principle in movement, in relationship. That when you have a collection of movements that are resonating together, they have a whole ensemble web, complex web of uh, relationships that goes up geometrically as the um, number increases. So, Lord knows how this unfolded in the mind and spirit of the human being, but we deal with that complexity. So, for a set, now we'll speak briefly as a mathematician, or in using mathematical language, a set of 40, there are 40 plus 40 into the nth, um, number of relationships. So, 1,600 relationships in that little sutra, in that little aphorism. Now think of that. Money is a movement that always seems to be going. And you see, now I'm messing it up. Uh, and if you do that with a child, the teacher is a child, it's like, look, no, 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 they'll correct you instantly. <laughs> so we're totally out here in the, this magnificent Oregon blue sky with a few threatening clouds still lingering. But we have our water. We have a little uh, poncho, it's called Groucho, that I'm sitting on. It's always ready, it's my ecotone, that's the limit of my culture. And so if it rains, we simply get up and flip it over and put it on. So we're ready. But they'll correct you. Cliff, no. 
It's got to be, and then they'll do it. Money is a movement. And then if you simplify it, money is a, you get the idea. So 20, 20, 40, 40, 1,600. Well, we can hardly keep track of our five fingers. <laughs> but what I'm suggesting, for me it's a fact, but now look at it as a theory. So what's going on, I always use the analogy of playing 40 notes. If you have a grand piano, stop the tape and go do it. Just try five. Stick with your five fingers and uh, hit five notes at random while you push the pedal down while well, that the notes are entering the world one by one but because we push that sustaining pedal down it's a very magnificent western contribution to the whole of earthbound culture that sustaining pedal so you push that down and that time becomes space that melody becomes harmony and there's some principle of the universe that's being revealed to us that's what we're doing inwardly when we don't have that sustaining pedal, when we hear that one, two, three, four, five. Because someplace deep inside our spiritual energy, those five distinct events are what you call philosophically um, in formal language co-present. They're all resonating together. Now what does this mean? It means a tremendous a lot that composition is totally dependent on a sense that we cannot make possibly cannot make explicit that all of this stuff is happening we don't want to use that word intuitively no subconscious no it's in an implicit realm but we're still resonating with it we're still working with it we're still composing with it we can still make it explicit, perhaps, partially. Never wholly. It's always beyond description, like this water. But we can make it explicit, and therefore we can share it. But, but perhaps we can even share it intuitively. You see, we're struggling to find the language help. So one, two, three, four, five. And it's not just harmony the rhythms are all one two three four five that's a geometric sequence you see this is a big deal that western art has been stuck in this arithmetic prison prison the great uh, manuel uh, mandelbrot 
may he rest in peace, he recently passed away. Very musical mathematician, inventor, discoverer, both really, of fractals. While he's helped us tremendously in liberating us from that prison of just twos and threes. So movement, meaning, energy. And don't forget, we look at why we don't hear. Don't listen with the past. And so that means you, the only thing you can possibly do, and we're doing it right now, is to be cognizant of how the past shapes perception. And we'll end with that thought. And one last shot at our little money sutra. So if you're just doing, you're not worried about talking hands, talking feet. I'll do this very quickly. And you're just worried about the meaning of the aphorism. So then it becomes in the dialogue circle that we do up here, the theater, the new, and picture poems, whatnot. Uh, this is hardcore uh heavy-duty philosophical work that's meant to clean house, to get rid of uh, a lot of the philosophical burden of the past, like we were saying Aristotle, that I don't think we need, it's in the way. Respectfully. So this sympathetic Resonance, relational resonance is a big, big deal because it's its own, um, it's not, it's outside, it's a space that is beyond time. And every time we push down that sustaining pedal in music, don't forget music is not just this little thing on the periphery of culture, it's the universe. Right. It's not just this little commercial activity. Now, can you teach relational resonance? Well, what we do is we awaken sensitivity to it. So when we compose, we're listening to all of these sounds, not just the damn in rhymes, <laughs> right? We're listening to the whole, you see how the eye culture will go for that French corruption of the great Germanic Old English resonance, the power of earth and put it into little pink doily dancing gowns like we get with Shakespeare, with all due respect. That the real English is something very much more powerful. And so that's what they were doing, that resonance. And to learn that, Atem, du unsichtbares Gedicht, immerfort um das eigene Sein. Rein eingetauschter Weltraum. Gegengewicht, in dem ich mich rhythmisch ereigne.
That's that little poem, the beginning of it, that we did yesterday, but in German. Holy cow, there's nothing in English that has that earth. Igor Stravinsky, yes. Edgar Varese, yes. Maybe a few pieces of eyes. But that sound? And Rilke didn't even know Bach. Imagine that. So we've lost that in English, so it must be gotten back. But not as that distant mountain that I'm pointing my finger at, by looking at why we don't have it. And it's not just because of the Norman invasion, it's also because of I dominant culture. And the lack, and the, what's the other one that, uh, <laughs> sit culture. Chair culture, wherever that came from. So this little sutra, money is a movement, that's always going in the world. So if we do it philosophically, it's a question. Well, this water has a movement to it, right? Well, money has an inherent movement, too, that is uh, uh, corrupt. And in the present era, has become tremendously corrupted, so, so much so that it's become a primary problem, can take down the entire earth, not just human beings. So, um, when something is systemically corrupt, we need that philosophy, but not of the university, it has, and not of the streets either. It has to be a kind of new wilderness embedded uh, philosophy. But finish with that um, relational resonance, 1600. So there are so many relationships. It's like when we count, um, say, like we have, I'm looking at um, oxide daisies. I call it Goethe's daisy. daisy. It's not native here. It's native to the Alps, and it's gone totally haywire here. It's like you see a close friend that used to be a preacher in the Alps and he's on vacation in Las Vegas and he has two blonde babes on either arm and is drinking a whiskey. And they just go totally haywire here. She loves me, she loves me not. As you pull out the, the ray flowers, margaritis they're called in the Alps, well, when we count the flowers, you notice you go one, two, three, and then we give up and say many. Well, Mother Nature tends to do that too. Hmm. And uh, there are energetic reasons for that, evidently, that we still have in contact, let alone uh, understand. They're not on our map of nature. But this relational resonance, we become sensitized and awakened to it once we start to slow uh, many things down, but especially time. And this chanting and drumming and dancing, 
there's nothing better to bring it into the whole mind-body. Simply as a kind of yoga, Alexander technique practice. And um, find a, a few lines of a poem you like and just uh, do the experiment of making a recording, liberating it from the page, and then start to say the words of the poem in a simplified step time, straightened out rhythm. And do that for the duration of a breath. Breath, you invisible poem, ceaselessly turning round your own being. Pure exchange of world space, counterpoise in which I rhythmically reclaim myself. Thirty-six steps. And then experiment with it, play with it. And then we'll talk about that the next time. You learn how to tap it, drum it, and conduct it. And that's where the counting comes in. And for now to end, just praise the gods, not the Simpson gods, but the real ones, that that we've been given an awareness that resonates with the beauty of that resonance. Wonderful. Okay, thanks for listening. This is Cliff. Check that out. I'll put in the links. Listen to that money movement. You'll hear, I'll tell you a little anecdote. Real, <laughs> I was, uh, that piece was written, I'm very proud of that, entirely under minus 10 degrees Celsius. Uh, my good friend, another trombonist, um, in Holland, Tone for Nielsen couldn't stop laughing when I told him that. It was entirely composed at minus 10 degrees C. It's hard to keep all this digital equipment ticking <laughs> at that temperature, but it does keep you honest. And um, um, I had perfect snow conditions, and it suddenly occurred to me I must do a dancing chorus that runs through the piece in a totally different time space. So it's similar to uh, Charles Ives, except the scores are independent. So you have two or three independent scores. And if you had to, do it with a conductor. And uh, those 20 steps are done marine style on top of hard, frozen, uh, snowshoeing snow. It's as hard as concrete. You can hardly take your ice axe and penetrate it at about uh, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning with magnificent first light. Uh, right up here at Heartbreak Meadows. And so I had to do eight tracks independently and sing them um, and get them right with the rhythm. So it would make uh, talk about madness. 
if you have a drone on top of Heartbreak Meadow looking down at poor Cliff down here, uh, with emphasis on poor, doing running, I put in a cyclotron up here in the winter for cross-country skiing, about a kilometer. And if I don't keep skiing, the universe implodes. So I'm out there <laughs> running around and recording it with the same recorder I'm using right now. And you, oh, the sound of that frozen snow. And I'm ramming my boots into the snow to get that marine sharp effect because this is the uh, Marines <laughs> against the corruption of money. Well, I do not know a single artist who does not suffer for that very same reason. Money is a movement that's always going in the wrong direction. Okay, thanks for listening. This is Cliff. Ciao for now.